Thank you for that wonderful lunch. That was amazing. All right, let's talk about healing. We're getting, some, getting to some good news. Survivors feel embarrassed, alone, they're in pain and torment, crazy, they're emotionally raw, and they're scared. Okay, that's not good news. Sorry, I lied. <coughs> there are stages of healing, and the first one I would call emergent. That's, so a lot of survivors do not know, like me, they would not tell you they're a survivor. It's like shocking. You've got to be kidding me. This is news. I would never have told you. So this is emergent, and this information is coming at them in several ways. Body memories, flashbacks, dreams. Some of them don't get flashbacks at all. It's just their body is screaming things at them, and they're like, I don't know what is going on. Sometimes it's only dreams. They have all these dreams going on, giving them information, and they're like, well, is it real if it's just a dream? And sometimes that's the only way it comes to that. There's a ping-ponging. We talked about that before. This, it's real. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And, and it's crazy-making. And it's hard to believe a survivor, if the survivor's not even believing themselves. Crazy. Complex PTSD. They have a suicidal ideation growing up, going on. And... Suicide, I have a friend that she just, she's like, I would just go commit suicide. She wouldn't threaten it, she would just go do it. And that's programmed into those dissociated parts that the, that the cult does. Terror, terror is horrific. High levels of terror, and they don't know what they're afraid of. It's just so ter horrific. Paranoia. And, and sometimes it, you know, Sometimes it's real, sometimes it's not real. Like I had a friend, and she's a survivor, and her kids are survivors also. So she was with her daughter one day, and she goes, do you know there's a car that's been following you everywhere we've been going today? And she goes, oh yeah, that follows me everywhere I go. So that's not paranoia, that's real. They get, their phones are bugged, computers are bugged, and that does happen. Sleep disturbances. Demonic attacks. I get people calling me all the time. I'm getting choked almost to death at night by demons. It happens. And we need to get them to deliverance ministers. Church issues, relationship issues. In a survivor in this stage, some of them can be like a drowning victim. And they can pull you under with them. It's terrifying. And they need validation, and that's very strong. I have to validate this. I don't want it to be true. Survivors do not want to be survivors, and that's a hallmark. They will do everything they can to prove that they're not a survivor or to prove that they're crazy, because that's much easier than being a survivor. Now, some of them will feel pulled into the paranormal. That's interesting. They'll be pulled into researching it like crazy, or they'll be pulled into participating in it. Fascinating. Their parts, their dissociated parts, are in disarray. Some of them will be changing. Now, some people in parts can start talking like a little child. They'll have different 
voices for their different parts. They'll have different behaviors. Like my kids, when I first figured out I was dissociative and had DID, which I didn't know, when my kids heard, they're like, oh yeah, we know that. You do? I'm like, yeah, we can tell by the way you walk down the hall. Or, and then they just started saying, sometimes you're going around singing all these stupid kid songs, or sometimes you're doing this or something. They started listing them. I'm like grabbing a piece of paper, writing it down so I could tell my therapist. I'm like, my goodness, my kids know all about it. Fascinating. But the personalities are different. The way you handle things are different. What you can do is different. There is one survivor, one of her dissociated parts had this wonderful laugh, but only when she was in that dissociated part. So when she integrated that, which means you get rid of the part, and sometimes there's a piece of your personality in that part, when they integrated it, that laugh became part of what she could do all the time, which was wonderful. So she could laugh like that all the time. Or my ability to play piano came into what I could do all the time, and so I don't sit down and go, oh my goodness, I have no idea how to play the piano. This is humiliating or the ability to write is with me all the time because I've integrated those sorts of things. Uh, there's n at this emergent level, there's no comprehension of who is and who is not safe in your life. That's a problem. Uh, they're very dissociative. That's a problem. You're with them and all of a sudden they're not there. Hello, are you there? Hello, hello, come back. And coping mechanisms are going to be very strong. That's how they live. They live through coping mechanisms. And that's not good because we don't want to live by coping. We want to live in this life that God is giving us by being fully aware, not by being checked out in our phone, not by being watching TV all the time, not by being so busy that there's not time to do anything. We want to live to enjoy this life God's given us, right? We do that by healing. It doesn't matter what, you know, what the trauma is. We want to heal because God's, the goodness of God in the land of the living, he's given us here to put our feet, to live where we are, and to be able to enjoy, to be at peace, to be able to live in our mind and, and be, have our thoughts, right? The next phase I'm going to call acceptance and healing. So, you're, so the survivors start checking out SRA ministries. And some of them are going from deliverance ministry to deliverance ministry to deliverance ministry because they think, I just need to be delivered. Just need to be delivered. Just need to be delivered. And they're not getting it. And it's not a deliverance problem. They're getting more stable. They're more able to take advice. In the emergent time, they're really not able to slow down and take much advice. The controlling DID parts are taking over. So like at the beginning, the dissociated parts are just all over the place and it's just running amok. They're more controlled in their system now. There's control and there's association, so that's good. They're holding down jobs better. La their life tasks are going better. There's some understanding now of who's safe and who's not safe. They're able to make some better decisions. There's deprogramming in process and integration is happening. So we're, we're, we're starting to chunk through some healing. Things are good. This is, this is a good spot. 
And then we get to the overcomer. Most of the healing is done. Forgiveness has been worked through quite a bit. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. I don't see forgiveness as a destination. I see forgiveness as a journey. It's, it's multifaceted, and even if I've forgiven my dad, it's like, ooh, not thought of this part, and i got to forgive him for this. Whoops. Wow, now there's another whole area. I didn't think of that one. Now i got to forgive. You know, God just leads you through all these different areas. It's just this huge journey. You're better able to key in on safe and unsafe people. Now, in this, too, is unsafe things. You really want to purge everything from your childhood. Don't keep any items from your childhood because they can be programmed items. Get rid of all of it. Just chuck it all. You're able to connect with people. If you can't connect with people, then you still have a lot of healing to go. You're able now to trust God. Trusting God is key. You see the Bible as truth. You're deprogrammed. And when a new dissociated part pops up, because they still do, you integrate it, take it to God, and you get healing for it. Periodically one pops up, and I'm like, oh, hello. And within 10 minutes, I can be healed. It's like, okay, let's go to God. Off we go. Some things to say to a survivor. I believe you. Any trauma, I believe you. Have capacity. Listen. Let me hear what you have to say. Now, be careful, too, with SRA survivors. Don't just out to everybody. But if you're hearing an SRA survivor, to hear the words, I believe you, is like, we don't get it. So if you hear someone say it, they'll probably break down in a crying mess in front of you, but it means the world. It's going to be okay. I am here. I believe you. We will work through this together. What does the Bible say about that? You are safe here. That's hard because we don't feel safe. And to be reminded that we're safe in this space is helpful, really helpful. Today is a really good tag to add on to how somebody's feeling. This is how I'm feeling. And it's like, okay, today. I can't make it. Okay, today. Today, but we're going to make it. If you, that's how you feel today, but we're, we're going to make it. You are not alone. And Patrick used to say, I was happy to be here to help you through this. He's just the best guy ever. Do not say please ever to survivors. That's all in the past, looking at what is ahead. Paul said that, and it's misapplied. When he said that, he was going after his list of all of the things that he did wonderfully. He's going through his pedigree. But he's like leaving that all in the past and going at what is ahead. 
So people like, okay, well, we can apply that to a whole heap of stuff. He was not talking about trauma. Now, survivors try really super hard not to think about it, but we don't have that ability. I tried for 20 years. I tried applying that really super hard for 20 years. And if anybody could have done it, I guarantee you it would have been me because I was in the word, I was praying, I was praising, and I'm like, God, if I could just get a little closer to you, please help me not to think about it because I really, really, really don't want to think about it. And don't you think we've had enough flashbacks? I promise you I will be better. I promise I'll be stronger. I promise, I promise, I promise. And then we'd have another flashback and be like, really? Don't you think we've done enough? But he knew better than I did. He knew what had to come out, and what had to come out had to be looked at way better than I did. So don't say, just look at what's ahead, because so many people say that, and their condemnation in that is more than we can bear. Took me 20 years, and people are like, well, it should have gone faster. I'm like, I am totally in agreement with you. You must have unforgiveness in your heart or you would have been over it by now. And they know not what they do. It's like, well, they, they, they do know what they're doing. They're, they're knowing what they're doing. They're, they're in agreement with the enemy and what they're doing. When Jesus said they know not what they do, he was talking to Roman soldiers who were on assignment and had no choice in crucifying him. He did not say that to Judas Iscariot. He said it was better for him if he had never been born. And for the people that hurt children, he said it would be better if he said it, they could have had a millstone put around their neck and thrown into the sea. He didn't say they know not what they do. So don't say that to a survivor. It hurts us. It hurts us bad. Healing keys, and I, and I kind of see this as a progression for those who heal. Number one, and you have to start here, is trust in God. You have to trust God. We have the false Jesus in ritual abuse. They dress, this is nasty, they dress somebody up as Jesus, they send him in, and they have him raping and torturing the children, and the kids think it's Jesus. So then you say, well, Jesus is here to heal you, or he's in the Bible, and they're like, you know? And so... Getting trust in God is very difficult, and the iconography in these rituals is crosses, Bibles, Jesus, and then communion is cannibalism. So all the things that we've got going on in the Bible and in church are terrifying for the survivor. So the things that we have to heal are the things that a survivor is like, you've got to be kidding me. So we got to start with trusting God. To do that, using the name of Yeshua is very important or a name that they can accept. A lot of times, Jesus is a name that's not acceptable. So find out what's acceptable. Some people use JC. 
you know, find, find what works for them. Some people use Jesus and that's okay. But finding out a good name to go into, but they have to learn to trust God and that's the first step. You have to have God to heal because this is a spiritual abuse. You have to untwist the scriptures. They twist every scripture against us. One time they said, um, the Bible says love everybody, and then they had an orgy. That's not what the scripture is saying, right? So they, they twist it all. So you got to untwist the word because it's like your brain is frazzled. Some people have been programmed to get nauseous when the word is read. King James, especially, is a bad version for most survivors. So sometimes different translation works. Find a translation that works. Sometimes reading it out loud to them works. Online app. Find a way to get it into them. Then validation of it, they have to validate. They have to accept their dissociated parts and learn how to get their parts to trust them because they've got to disconnect. Their parts hate them. They hate their parts. So you've got to work that out. Uh, piecing their story together because their parts tend to have just flashes and pieces of their story. So they've got to get, like, a whole ritual so they can get the whole story piece together. It's complex. Then you got to get deprogramming going, integration of the parts going to heal, deliverance only if it's necessary. Creative outlets are wonderful art, music, writing. There's so much healing in when they can start expressing. Lots and lots and lots of time with God. Once they trust him, get them into that throne room. Get them at the feet, feet of Yahweh. Get them talking with him, hearing from him. Because it's this spiritual abuse, they have usually a very easy time hearing his voice. And once they can hear his voice, that's when the healing starts happening. It's a wonderful place to be. Help them to take time. A lot of times, because we're so good at taking pain, we're like, okay, I got to heal. All my time's on healing. I'm going to keep healing, gonna keep healing, keep healing. You got to remind them to stop and breathe and learn to enjoy life. So find out. It's like, I don't know what I like to do. I don't know how to enjoy life. So then they got to learn what things I like to do. Well, do you like to go for walks? Do you like to crochet? Do you like to cook? Do you like to paint? And then they got to start learning those things. Learn how to play. It's kind of hard to do. It's funny. And breathing. Survivors don't breathe. Patrick still reminds me, Lisa, breathe. Oh, okay. Yeah. We don't breathe. So just learning to breathe. So those are my keys for healing. Deprogramming. Programming is tough. Programming is mind control. When they get you into a dissociation, that's when they get you into parts. They know you're creating parts so they can come in and they can make things inside of you, which is a program, to do something. And if they can make a program, then they can give you keys or words or songs or numbers or a tone. And when this certain thing happens, you're just going to go and do something. 
programming a victim to do what the group wants that victim to do, and that's terrifying because the group's not going to have you do anything good. So there's a book called Mental Liberation by Kurth Barker, and it's Illuminati Mind Control Basics. And this is scary because all this stuff now is online, so we've got dabblers now who can come up with mind control and they can do it. Not good. So there's a progression, there's about four things. The first is depattering, and that's the act of changing someone's pattern of thinking, either temporary or permanently. So a way to depattern can even be as simple as changing your clothes. So like in the military, you put on military clothes on a guy, and he's going to act like a soldier. You dress up to go out for the night, and you're going to be on your best manners, right? So that's a simple way of depattering. He says, however, brainwashing takes depattering to an extreme, attacking the personality of the victim. Brainwashing is achieved through various forms of abuse, including violence, shame, blame, guilt, and a humiliation, all of which are designed to shock for the purpose of interrupting original thinking, overwhelming, and disorienting the mind. This opens the subconscious to reprogramming. They're going to reprogram what they want you to think. Brainwashing goes against the welfare and the free will of the individual. So, like, they, you see them in the robes, and you're already going into thinking of mind control. I'm going to do what they say. Now, for me, it was looking at the ground. I'm going to do what they tell me to do, right? I see the robes. I'm already in control. That was my thing. Tabula rasa, complete or partial erasure, erasure of the individual's personality. That's the goal of mind control. So that's when your personality's gone. Now, I'm saying it's not completely gone because God's got it encapsulated inside of you. But that's what they believe. So some examples are burning books, kind of like the Nazis did, trying to erase the culture. So then they can just start all over a blank slate, and then they can recreate the culture they want to make. But victims have their personality erased, then they try to create in you who they want you to be. Then you have psychic driving. Creations of a new personality after the brainwasher has achieved the erasure of the original personality. So then they write their new personality on their blank slate. Wicked wicked. And then dissociation, the disconnection of the individual's willpower so that the will of a controller can override it. When someone is completely dissociated, a new personality emerges. Dissociation is achieved through physical and emotional torture. <coughs> so then, then you can get part, dissociated part, dissociated part, after the associated part, and then they're putting inside of you all these programs. And we're going to get into some of these programs. So organized abuse is systematic. It's torture until compliance. Hand, like I told you, the hand over my mouth, 
until they scarred shut my sinus. They found it right before the, my facial features started changing. What year was that? Right, 2009, I think, when they found it. Um, the don't tell rituals that we went through so that you don't ever tell. If you tell, this is how you kill yourself. You know, these, these are all the, to take my personality away because I am here to stay silent and to follow the rituals and to follow the cult. And so that even when the cult, I'm not around the cult, I am still a cult active person. I will still follow what the cult wants me to do. Crazy. The programming of words, music, parts of movies. Oh, I'm sorry. Torture brings children to a dissociated state. Association part will tell what to do. So again, if, you, if there's a person that's letting all these dissociated parts run amok, you get a part come up that's still programmed, it's dangerous. Because it's, it's going to take over and tell you to do something that's cult active, dangerous, programmed. You're in big trouble. Amnesia from dissociation, and then there's less chance for the child to tell, but then as an adult, it could kill you. So these programmings, it can come from words. So if your parent sends you a card, like some of my programs, words, I called my mom and dad, mom and dad, but two of my programmed words were mother, father. So, like, when my dad found out that I was starting to remember things, and the way I said it to my mom, I'm remembering some things I hadn't remembered before, and she said it never happened. And I'm like, what never happened? You know, so that started these crazy conversations. And I get this phone call from my dad, it was on the answering machine, and he said, your mother, there's mind control right there, trying to get me right back under the control. So they have words. There's, it can be a part of a song. So if you're listening to popular music, they'll, they'll, it'll click you into programming. It can be numbers. I had a friend and she had a salon and a guy came and he sat in his chair and had her keep repeating certain numbers over and over again. Those certain numbers, he was from her cult. He's trying to click her into a program. I had a girl and she um, was just mumbling num same numbers over and over again. She was in a dissociated state. Programs, don't tell, come back to the group programs. So those click in, especially around holidays. All of a sudden, I gotta go home. They gotta go home. They don't know why, they, haven't, they know their family's dangerous, but there's this I have to go home thing. They have to go home, they have to be reprogrammed, they have to tell what they've been up to, or they have to bring the children in. It is very important that the group gets the hands on the next generation because every generation that the oldest person in the group gets their hands on, the more power the oldest person in the group gets. It's generational. Come back to family, call the family. All of a sudden, I just gotta, I gotta call aunt so-and-so, I gotta call my mom, I gotta call, 
and, and that's programming, because they want to know. And sometimes it's, I'm in healing, and you get a certain place in healing, and then that's programmed. If you're in therapy, all of a sudden you're going to click into call programming, so you've got to call and report on yourself. And so then they're going to reprogram you so you get out of therapy. Or you get into counseling with a minister. You're going to click into call programming, call them back. You're going to tell them about it because they've got all this stuff in place so you don't get into therapy, you don't get into help. You'll tell on yourself or there's somebody who's watching over you. They'll tell on you. They've got it all, they've got it all set. can be situationally triggered. Again, getting into programming, getting into counseling, getting into help. Reminder programming. So we've made vows to Satan in these rituals. We've made covenants to Satan. We've made marriages to Satan. So there's things to remind us of those vows. So from with that, we get toys from childhood that those have reminders. Um, music boxes from childhood. Stuffed animals colors that are specific to your group, especially the colors of red, purple, and black. Taps on shoulder or knee, spoken phrases. I hear people come and they whisper something into someone's ear, and that's to try to trip programming, get somebody to go back. Suicide programming, usually that's in a part. So if someone keeps going into suicide and they don't know why, it's programming, so they need to be deprogramming, and they need integration. And they're being accessed. Um, cutting, pay attention to the way people cut. If it's specific kinds of cutting and patterns, a lot of times that's cult sort of stuff. Self-burning, again, if there's patterns and certain implements that they're using, that's SRA-specific. And assassination. Um, if they feel the need to kill their therapist or their spouse or their support person. I don't know why, but I want to kill you. That's programming because it's sent by the cult to kill the person that's there to help them. Or all of a sudden, I don't want to see you anymore. They're stopping the friendship. So it's not an assassination, but it's stopping that friendship. All of a sudden, they're divorcing. They're leaving a church that's been really helpful to them. They don't know why. They will leave when they're getting help. So here's from Sherry, something she wrote. I started attempting suicide at five years old. I continued attempting suicide until I was 33. Sometimes it was from programming, and other times it was from being so abused constantly. I never threatened or told anyone, I just did it. It was awful to be in such a bad shape. As survivors, so much has, to be done to, has been done to us. At times, I would take up to 100 pills. I can't tell the number of times I tried to end my life. God always sent someone who would see what I did and get me to the hospital or call an ambulance. I have no idea at what time what was wrong with me. Then after being rescued and learning about programming, I discovered I had a lot of suicide programming. I made a promise to God to not attempt suicide anymore, but I would need his help. At times, programming went off to not attempt it again. It's been 26 years now since the last time I tried. I want to encourage you to reach out to your therapist or call 911 instead of acting on this programming. It might take some time to get deprogrammed, but cry out to God also. 
I stopped attempting to end my life after I found out about programming. Awareness of having programming helps us fight the programming. I want you to know you are so precious. There is help and there is hope, but mostly there is a God who loves us and will help us if we allow him to. A big thing in programming to deprogram is to choose to disobey. I will not obey. And the more we disobey programming, the less power programming has. So knowing the programming exists is a big part of deprogramming. Patricia Baird Clark, she's a hero in this area in restoring survivors of satanic ritual abuse. She says, after programming, the Satanists don't need to be present to control the person. Her person's personality fragments take over and continue to abuse from within. Through programming, the person is trained to hate herself and work constantly to keep herself physically, emotionally, mentally weak and in pain. So we deprogram, and a lot of times it's sessions with Jesus. We go in and Jesus will take the program from us and there's an exchange and he'll give us a gift instead. It's, it's beautiful. And he'll talk to the dissociated part, to the core person, he'll deprogram and he'll integrate. And the core person makes a decision, I will disobey this program. I refuse to, to go with what the cult said. And again, that, that closest to Yeshua is the key. The backlash. The cult is ready for us, and we are not. We're coming out, and we're naive. We have no idea what's going on. And man, they're ready to hit us. We get hit with satanic panic, and, you know, this is just, um, you've just got mental, emotional problems, a false memory syndrome. I mean, they hit me with stuff I didn't even know about. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Because they've been waiting for it. I mean, they've been probing Patrick for years. They were waiting for this. They knew it was coming. I had no idea. They've got handlers, watching, waiting, cult loyal friends. There's people around us that have been friends for decades before we realize that they're cult loyal, and they're close to us to keep an eye on us. It's painful, it's painful. And they report to the group. We can have phones and computers bugged. We got the call programming all of a sudden. We're not calling and reporting on ourselves anymore, so they know. The survivor leaves the family and goes silent, they know. Or the survivor confronts the family and tells them what they remember, and they're like, okay, now we know what they're dealing with. So we tell them ourselves. It's easy to confuse the survivor because the survivor's already ping-ponging. The survivor can't get people to support them because society doesn't believe them. They go to a pastor, and the pastor's like, you're just possessed. And they try to go to counseling, and most counselors, you know, we're getting more counselors now that believe, so that's helpful. And you can Google it, and there is stuff, if you go far enough, to find help. So we're getting better. But it's difficult. It is difficult. But if the survivor stands strong they can lose their entire family of origin. All of them. 
and it hurts. They can lose their church, which they tend to do. They can lose all their friends. They lose their past. They lose their family, and a lot of them lose their husbands and their kids. So the backlash is tough to get through. And some of them just say, okay, I made it up, and go right back because it's too much. Is the family of the SRA survivor safe? And this is really important. Do you know who's safe and who's not? Who's active, who's not? It's tough. I don't even know. My, I had a whole huge family. I lost all of them. So Revelation Gateway Ministries has this wonderful list, and there's some really super good questions, and if you have a multi-generational SRA family, which almost all of them are, it's very hard to get into this if it's not multi-generational, then these are the questions you should ask. You all have them in your sheet. Do I find myself compulsively telling everything to a specific family member? If you're doing that, then that family member is not safe. Do I feel dissociative, tired, and depressed after contact with my family? If you do, that's not good to be around them. If the, you talk to somebody and you're dissociative after, that person is not safe. Do I lose time around a family member? then you're dissociating away, stuff's happening. That's not good. Are my family members dissociative? The last meeting we had with my parents when we, we went after we had started the investigation and I told the investigator, I want to give my dad one more chance and see if he will admit to any of this, if he's willing to admit, and if he's willing to work through this, I won't press charges. So we had it on pause. We went in with... Our, Patrick and I were there. We went in with our pastor, their pastor, my mom and dad. And I'm like, I remember SRA. And my dad, like, knew nothing but his name. Did he deny his name? No, okay. He knew his name. That's all he knew. But he dissociated through the entire meeting. And I even said, and you're dissociating. Makes me wonder if it happened to you. He did not like that. But do they dissociate? He just kept staring off, and he was gone. He was gone. Am I healing at a good rate, or am I stuck? If you're with your family and you can't heal, that's not good. They're not safe. Do I have a memory of family members participating in the rituals? If you have the memories and they're there, they're not safe. Now, I... I have this conversation with survivors all the time. Well, well they, they don't know they're there. They're safe. They, I need to get them out. That's not your job. Let the Holy Spirit get them out. Not your job to get in there and figure that out. Does my family see me as, does my, sorry, got that wrong. Does my family ask me nosy questions about ministry and therapy I'm receiving or what I am remembering? My mom was trying to force me to give her my therapist's name. I'm like, I'm not giving you my therapist's name. They go after them and sue them. Sue them, because they don't want them, if they're going to support a survivor, they're going to get them out 
of therapy, and they do. They, they sue them, and then they're like, this is too much for me, and they drop out very quickly. And do I feel safe around my family members? If you don't feel safe, get out. And if you decide they're not safe, leave. Leave. Get your kids away from them. Get out. This says get a, a lot of physical distance, 200 to 1,000 miles. I don't know. Get as far away as you can. Have safety people around for accountability and check in around holidays. I have friends that just dissociate around holidays, and then they've got scars. It's not good. Safety is achieved when personalities are freed from submission to the cult and mind control programming when you aren't contacting your family. Again, you have to be deprogrammed so you're not clicking into these go back to family programs and you're going back to them and then they're still hurting you. They still hurt adults. You're not safe just because you're an adult. Build your support team. You need a team. You need a minister. You need people to pray with. And it's not like you go around telling everybody the rituals. That's not good. But just say, hey, I need prayer. Have people to pray for. Have people to check in with you. And what does healing look like? Survivors are courageous. They're poised. They have wisdom. They are highly creative. They are empathetic like crazy, crazy. They are prayer warriors extraordinaire. They will look the enemy in the eye and they will rebuke him like anybody's business. They are prophetic. They have strong spiritual discernment. They will sit in a church and somebody new will come in and they'll go, uh-oh, that's off. And you better listen to them. They have peace. They have enjoyment of life. They have high understanding of scripture. They have a close relationship with God. And they have conversations with God and encounters with him that are just amazing. You heal a survivor. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's worth it. It is worth it. It's hard work. But doing the, doing the work you get a warrior of the Lord, a warrior of the Lord. All trauma, all trauma, no matter what it is, the design of it is to get people away from God. Sickness, all sickness is to get people away from God, to get people angry with God. Anything the devil throws at us is to get us away from God, to get us to not trust God, to get us angry at God. So what do we do? We put on the armor and we fight them with everything we got. So as trauma survivors, we show people how to do that. All right, how to recognize survivors. Children and teens. Watch their drawings. Watch their writings. Their parts will talk periodically. They'll talk to you, and then all of a sudden, they're going to tell you some horrific thing, like a maybe a ritual, or maybe somebody hurt them horrifically, and then they'll stop and start talking about something else. You go, wait a minute, what did you just say? And then they won't remember. Because a part will come out and talk to you and tell you something, and then that part's gone, 
and they don't remember telling you. And you're like, what is going on? And maybe they've got different personalities. So then you're dealing with parts as well. They can have a highly sexualized behavior or perfect behavior. Like I was highly controlled. Um, I was not allowed in any biology sex education courses. Everybody else in class was. I was never allowed. I had constant bladder and yeast infections my entire growing up. Severe fatigue. I was always tired. My mom was in the hospital when I was in eighth grade. And I was thinking, it must be nice to be able to lie in bed and just sleep. Eighth grade. Depression. PTSD. My startle reflex was through the roof. Through the roof. Easily controlled. I was the only kid that never lost recess, ever, in my class. Eating disorders. Terror, dissociation. And in the childbearing age, watch for signs of pregnancy. As soon as they start having periods, they will start getting bigger and losing weight, getting bigger and losing weight. I had a friend, and she remembered a time when she was pregnant. And she went and looked up a picture, and she found it. And sure enough, she was chubby, and she even had her hand where a pregnant woman would naturally have her hand, and she could see it. So they'd use children as breeders, because then they have undocumented babies that they can abort and kill in these pregnancies. And so different children have actually gone and found pictures of them actually being pregnant, but because you just look chubby, nobody questions it. And there's father idealization. I mean, it is insane, and, and we've talked to some people Patrick and I have, and it is, I ha you know, my dad's great. It is, my dad is incredible. I mean, he is idealized way too high. I mean, just way too high. It's, it's insane. Adults, suicidal ideation, self-harm, feeling disconnected from body and memories, like, I, I just couldn't feel my body. I just couldn't feel it. Re we talked about repeating numbers of robotic, like, statements. Like, I want to go home. I just want to go home. Or for me, I just, I just got to get out of here. I just I got to run away, but I, I didn't know. Like, I remember being in labor, and I never used epidurals or anything. But it's like, I just got to get off the table. I'm going to run away. And then I'm like, they're just going to catch me and bring me back anyway, so it doesn't make sense. But I just got, I got to get out of here. I got to run away. Singing silly kids songs. The need to leave, to um, leave being strong but doesn't know where to go. Hates birthdays. Hates birthdays. Uh, doesn't like holidays. The depression of holidays. Again, all of the ritual dates we had before. Those dates, they're going to be dissociated. They're going to be depressed. Look for that. Large gaps in memories. I just, I don't remember my childhood. I just don't remember that at all. People come to you, I don't remember that. I had a bridesmaid who apparently after we got married sent me a letter about sexual abuse. 
in when all this stuff started coming up to me my husband told me about that I'm like I don't remember that he's like how can't you remember that you know she was in your wedding I'm like man I just don't remember that at all that's crazy but it's just it's gone things are just gone that's you know they just go huge startle responses they don't look in the mirror the mirror is huge. Mirrors are used in rituals. There's a lot of programming with mirrors. Survivors don't look in mirrors. They'll look in the mirror in the morning, and that's the last time they look in it. Fear of water. They don't like to drink water. Uh, constantly watching eyes. You're looking for fear. You're looking for, are you evil? Looking for information in the eyes. Fear of being underground. Coffins, cages, buried alive. Fear of spiders, snakes, rats, and mice. That's huge. Huge. Memories of trauma, but then they think they made it up. So when they tell you something like, ah, oh, but I don't think that really happened. Gotta pay attention to that. They progress in therapy, but then that increases their anxiety. Like I said, I was chunking along but I was getting worse, that makes no sense. I should be getting better. And then flinching as if being electrically shocked. I would be, f I still do that sometimes. It's like this feeling going through. And I remember thinking, well, I hate that. That's how I felt when I had the stroke. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not what the stroke felt like. And I was like, uh-oh, that's bad. So that's ritual stuff. So there's, there's a lot of electric shocking in rituals. That's, that's not good. So for teachers, watch for perfect behavior or acting out, which gives you no information whatsoever. But especially look for the perfectly behaved, mind-controlled kids that whatever you say, they just immediately go and do overbearing parents. You want to watch the parents as much as you want to watch the kids. Kids are dissociative and they're tired, especially around ritual dates. Watch the ritual of dates and watch how the kids are around those dates. Then the childbearing age, look for the putting on a weight and losing a weight, especially around Halloween. Halloween is when you lose a lot of babies. Suicidal tendencies, look for the cuttings and patterns of cuttings, the eating disorders, the family perfection fantasies, but yet the writings show a lot of hopelessness. Drawings, I used to draw pentagrams all the time on all my stuff at school. Nobody said anything. Perfect Christian family, pentagrams on all my stuff. My writing showed a lot of ho hopelessness and suicidal stuff. Nobody said anything. And a necessary child cannot ask for help overtly because they don't know it's there. Mm -hmm. Most kids. Now, some kids will come through and say something to somebody every once in a while. But they find other creative ways. Their body's going to be calling out. I had emotional tics when I was in fifth grade. I would just start blinking and I could not stop. Or I would stare at the ground and I couldn't look anybody in the face. I'd go, go around like this all the time. In seventh grade in 1982, I wrote, 
I am a vagabond, lonely and desolate. I wander along, joining the sights, but feeling a loneliness inside. I wake up in the morning refreshed and anew, but inside something is wrong. I traveled all day, single and gay. I wished, but it wasn't true. Life is confusing, a puzzle to figure out, things that you feel that are hard to express. I knew something was wrong, something to be filled, and yet I wasn't sure what it was. Just pouring it out. And no one says a thing. So what can you do as a teacher? You cannot, even if you know, there's really not a lot you can do. You can write it in the notes, suspect, I, suspe I suspect rituals. I suspect ritualistic abuse, I suspect organized abuse, maybe. Make notes at home. If a kid ever comes and finds you, have meticulous notes at home. I found in my kindergarten notes a picture I had drawn of a naked stick person. That was interesting. Give kindness, because the kid's not getting any. Speak life and hope. Open the door to opportunities to listen. Hey, if you ever want someone to talk to. But have something in the records where when the, ch when the ch child's an adult and looking for validation, there's some little spark of something that will give them something to go on. Don't assume anybody is safe. Don't assume the social worker is safe. Don't assume the principal or counselor or the police is safe. Because if you go to them, unless you know they're safe, the kid's going to get in more trouble. If you know you can find a safe team, police officer you know is safe, counselor, pastor, create a plan. Pastor Daniil is safe, Pastor Nick is safe, Pastor Jasta is safe, talk to them. First responders, the victim is gonna assume you're a cult active. There are scenarios that they set up where they let you get away during a ritual. And you run into somebody and they bring you back and it's not good. And what they're teaching you is you're not gonna ever get away. And like I said in the victim statement earlier, they tell you that they've got people waiting for you to come forward and talk and they're gonna shut it up just like they did in my case. So we know that the cult is filled with first responders, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, police, social workers, counselors, lawyers, judges, and teachers. So when a first responder comes and you are safe, how are you gonna let them know you're safe? We can't, because there's no code of I'm safe, unfortunately. And there's don't tell programming, so they're not gonna trust you, which is sad. And you cannot make promises that I'm gonna keep you safe, right? Because the victim will go back to another ritual. But you can look for ritual dates, you can see if they're dissociated, if they're staring at the floor, out the window, into an object, they're not there, they're mumbling numbers or words or phrases, or maybe they're telling, You've talked about some that we're telling. There's genital injury, carvings on the body, 
They're terrorized. Maybe there's a demon talking. Sometimes that's going on. Or no talking at all. Another thing to look at are the parents. Parents give you a lot of information. The parents are avoiding eye contact. The parents are overbearing. The parents are the master micromanager. They buddy up to who is in charge. They make degrading comments about the child. And the child will be very compliant to the parent. Remember, that child is mind-controlled. The parent belittles the child and then demands affection for the child because they want to prove that everything's okay. They're going to look at the child's face and affection, but look and see if that affection is real. You can tell. And that child will have a frozen fake smile. And look how the child responds. Are they scared? Are they shut down? Speak to the child as if that child is important. Because you can bet that they've never had that before. They may be the only time the child hears it. Notate suspected ritual abuse in the report for later validation. It's then used similar to sex trafficking victim protocol. I wish there was more we can do, but so far I don't see the ability to get kids out of ritual families. In the church, here's the church issues. We got the false Jesus, which we talked about, so we need to go to Yeshua. Communion is whacked because we have cannibalism. My, you got to be real far into healing to heal communion. And the thing about communion is it's important because Jesus, on his way to Galgotha, past the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. And the Valley of Son of Hinnom is where the kings of Israel went to sacrifice their kids to Moloch and Baal. And they did all sorts of other evils, which was satanic ritual abuse. So Jesus passed by the Valley of the Son of Hinnom on the way to Galgotha, and he broke all the curses on the cross which is the curses of satanic ritual abuse. All of it's broken. So when we celebrate with communion, we're celebrating the victory of healing of SRA. So I think the ultimate celebration of healing of SRA is when we can finally get to communion. But we cannot push that on survivors until they're really far into healing. It is so triggering, so terrifying. Brings up so many images that you don't want to see or know. So it takes a lot of understanding and hand-holding and love to get them there. But they can get there, and boy, it's a victory, and it's an excitement and celebration to get to that side. The symbols of Christianity that cause fear 
all need to be healed. In the Bible especially, the Bible is where the healing is for SRA. Blood of Jesus, whew, terrifying, important, but all the talk of the blood of Jesus, like people used to come to me and it's like, and I was trying to heal and they're like, I just bleed the blood of Jesus all over you. And I'm like, <sighs> I screamed once, ran out of the church during a service, terrified me. It's like, can't do that to a survivor. Number one, the blood of Jesus isn't for a healing thing, it's salvation. So you don't do that to survivors. And our healing is in the name of the authority of Jesus Christ. You know, that's where our healing is. So, you know, blood of Jesus is precious, but it's a done deal. Did his work on the cross at Calvary. Precious. Sacrifice of Jesus is the whole focus of rituals. You gotta remember that. It's very triggering, it's very difficult. We gotta move people through that. Understand the f that, that that sacrifice is important, but we gotta heal it so we can talk about it, to understand it, that that's where it gets us to where we need to be to heal. Survivors not accepted in the church, we gotta make sure that the church is an accepting place for survivors. This is an SRA-friendly church. You guys have an incredible Pastor Jasta, Pastor Nick, Pastor Daniel. I love you guys so much. Opening your church up, churches don't do this. God bless you. This is an awesome church. Survivors can get healing. Churches need to open up to survivors. If church is open to survivors, then every Trauma can be healed in this church. God blesses the churches that do this. You are blessed. You are blessed. Blessings of the Lord are in this place. Satanic ritual abuse is not believed, which is stupid, because it's a real thing. It's a real thing. I am contacted by thousands of survivors around the world. This is a round-the-world problem. And survivors are not ex-Satanists. We're not. We never align to it. I've been told that. Well, you're an ex-Satanist. No, we're not. Not. And survivors are on the fringe of churches because they're not accepted in the churches. So let's let them in. Let's help them to heal. We're, we're a confusing bunch. I know, we're a complicated bunch. But once we heal, we're delightful. We're powerful. Powerful for the Lord. Amen. And here, you may amen all you want. The church strengths, if we're accepted, we pick up on the demonic in people, which is good. We have godly spiritual giftings if they're honed. We need to be honed. Hone us. Teach us. Disciple us. And as survivors, we have to be open to be honed and discipled. We have not arrived. We are prayer warriors extraordinaire. You should hear the prayers of survivors. They are powerful. They are powerful because they've seen the demonic. They know how to take it down. That's pretty cool. And again, highly empathetic. And SRA Ministries, 
I love that there's ministries reaching out to survivors. But I've got some concerns. They take what they've learned from survivors and they've gone into researching what the groups do to survivors and they've gone into the occult, they've gone into paganism, they've gone into witchcraft, they've gone into Baal worship and all this stuff. And then they try to reverse it and slap the name of Jesus on it for healing. For example, renunciation prayers. In the oaths that they make us make, in the covenants that they make us sign, in the marriage ceremonies they make us go through, we got to say a lot of things. So what they do is they make us say them again, I renounce, and then they make us say it all over again in the name of Jesus. Now, as the survivors are saying this, they're throwing up. They are got parts going all over the place. They might have some demons manifesting. And they are like tormented, reprogrammed, messed up. And they're like, great, now we can deal with all this stuff. And I'm like, no, this is a mess. This is a mess. And so survivors are going from SRA ministry to SRA ministry to SRA ministry, and they're like, well, this is how we do it. No, I disagree, and I'm out there pretty much on my own on this, so I'm telling you I'm crazy. Jesus is sufficient. The Bible is sufficient to heal anything that we have. Jesus did it all on the cross. He paid it all. Every, every oath, every covenant, every ceremony, I don't care what the Freemasons promised for whatever generation, however many generations, I don't care what the Illuminati said. Knights Templar, I don't care who you are. I don't care what the programming was, who they are, what they did. Whatever your abuse was, and everybody's been abused. I haven't yet had someone come up to me and said, Lisa, my life's been perfect. I'm waiting for that person. Not one person. So everybody's got stuff that they're dealing with. We all have stuff. This is enough. Because what these places are saying, it's the Bible plus the renunciation prayer. It's the Bible plus we've got to do all this stuff. This is it. Yeah. Jesus is enough. You don't need anything special. If you want to heal from SRA, this is it. Jesus is the word. The word was God. The word was with God. And the word was God. The Bible is the word. Jesus is the word. So you get into this. You heal from this. It's not, don't get it untwisted. Yeshua, he's the, he's the good guy. John 10.10 is the line. Thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the devil. But I, Yeshua, have come to have life and have it more abundantly. That's God. He's the good guy. So if you've had abuse, it's from the bad guy. All the healing comes from the good guy. So I need to heal good guy. I'm trying to keep you from healing bad guy. 
I don't want to go and re-say all the bad stuff they made me say. That's going to be bad. That's more the bad guy coming and making me do it again. Don't want to do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I don't need a renunciation prayer. I don't see Jesus going through renunciation prayers with anybody. He said, you're loosed. And then when Peter and Paul came through, they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Or come out of them in Jesus' name. And there was no blood of Jesus talking there either. The name of Jesus Christ is it. It's all you need. The name of Jesus Christ is all you need to set every captive free. There's nobody that has ever come to Jesus and not been set free. Nobody. Now, it took me a long time. I might be slower than I should have been, but I got set free because I knew this was where it was. So don't be discouraged. It might be taking longer than you think it should, but he's going after it, and he's tenacious. And he's not going to let you languish any longer than he has to because he's compassionate and full of tender mercies. I love that, don't you? He didn't want me to be a ritual severe, go through ritual abuse. I can't talk anymore. Sorry. He didn't want me to go through it. Never came into his mind, the Bible said. He didn't want you to go through any abuse. He, he didn't want you to. He wanted you to have wonderful parents and wonderful friends and wonderful neighbors. He wanted all of you to go through life and life abundantly. And if you've gone through it, he wants to take it out and set you free and bring you peace and life and wholeness and enjoy the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God rescued me, and he can rescue you because that's what he does. Thank you.